Hey, we're talking chapter two today from my book, Altered. And we're talking about denial and how it is a spiritual disaster of the worst kind. Next on the Altered Podcast. So, here we are again. We're back. Yes. So, last time we ended, um, and we talked about chapter one, the dream is over. And we ended with uh, me trying to push the reader into maybe accepting that maybe their dream for their life is over. And that, that last section is just called the 10-year plan. And it's just a story about how God was showing me that he wanted me to just put a big fat line through my 10-year plan. And maybe that's what he's wanting the reader to do who's reading it. But my answer to that was no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do things my way. Um, And so chapter 2, which is called You Promised You Were Done, um, has a lot to do with denial. Because that's how I responded to when I felt like God was like, hey, things aren't going to go the way you planned. But instead of trusting God with that, I just, like I said, I said no. So there's three reasons I think we default to denial. And the first one is survival, right? I think we've kind of been there. Yes. Just going to hang on for life until this passes. And this is kind of like... Or just pretend it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's definitely what we do is like, this can't be happening. It's not supposed to happen. And so that kind of leads into the second reason we default to denial is it protects our idea of life. So the first one is kind of a survival mode. Just got to make it through. This isn't really as bad as it looks. It'll go away. And then the second one is more of a protection. We want to protect the idea we have of our own life. And these, we talk about it through the book and I I talk about it as supposed to's. Um, How life is supposed to be in terms of chapter one, I talk about it as a dream how we dream our life is supposed to be. And then suffering enters and alters everything and messes up the dream. It messes up how life is supposed to be. So we desperately try to protect our supposed to be's. And I think of our girls, I put this in in the book, I think at the beginning of the chapter, but remember when we play hide and seek, Mm -hmm. we would count to 10 and they would not run away and hide. They would just cover their face. Yeah, they would cover their eyes and faces because they thought, if I can't see you, then you can't see me, so I'm hidden. And so their hands acted like some invisibility cloak. And somehow when they covered up, uh, we couldn't see them anymore, which is not the case. Well, and now they kind of take on how we as adults even deal with shame. Like if Elliot gets in trouble at the table, like when she threw her milk the other night. And hit my toe. Yes, she doesn't run away necessarily, but she just burrowed down in her chair almost under the table as though it didn't happen or we can't see what she did by covering her face or covering her head. Yeah, like if she's going to curl up in a ball and hide, it's like it protects her from any sort of consequences she thinks coming, any kind of trouble she thinks she's in. She can deny the trouble and just hide. Um, But that actually doesn't work when we default to denial when things happen it doesn't shield us or protect us from the consequences or maybe from the life altering suffering that is coming our way 
um, and then we can actually get hurt more from that, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the third reason we also default to denial is it protects our idea of God. So survival protects our idea of our life, how life is supposed to be, but then it protects our idea of God and how God is supposed to be God over our life. I call this divine denial. I don't know if that's really a thing, but I made it up if it's not already made up. Um, in chapter four, I paraphrase an author who I don't think I have the rights to say his name on a podcast, so you got to read the book, read chapter four. And um, in that, and I have to use a different language, he says that God, that we have the wrong idea of who he is. And time after time, time and again, God has to use suffering to dismantle this wrong idea we have of God, how God is supposed to work. And God uses suffering as a main reason or a main tool, actually, to help get our idea of God back on track. And so we don't want to believe God might actually allow something bad to happen, right? Because we had these supposed tos, and life is supposed to work a certain way, and we trust God to make that happen. And then when life isn't happening the way we think it should, then God isn't doing a very good job at being God. Well, and like with me, I choose then to have the mentality, well, I'm not going to choose that God is not good and he allowed this to happen. It's I'm so bad. I chose to do this and I made it happen because yes, God is good and he doesn't allow these things to happen. But then that causes me more shame, more blame. And I choose to spin out of control sometimes. Yeah, that's handling that. That's a good point. Another way we protect our idea of God is we we take the fall. And people like you who do a lot with shame, it's much easier to to fall on the sword than to have to ruin your idea of who God is. And um, I know with BPD, that's actually kind of a thing, is you have certain ideals of, of people in your life. And when they, like me, and when I don't act the way I should as a husband, I'm not always loving or whatever it is, or you think I'm mad at you, it's easier for you to be what's well, my fault. I'll take the blame. I did this. I brought this on myself. And so it protects your idea of, of me. And I think we all do that to a degree with God. I don't want that to be how God works. So this is my fault. And so suffering happens because we bring it on. We make bad choices. And it's just easier for us to say, well, that's not God. That's my fault. Or things just happen without anyone's fault it's just life happens and we live in a fallen world and then that's when it's really hard to be like well why did God let that happen he's messing up my supposed to and so we will default to denial in order to protect our idea of who God is and like I mentioned a minute ago it doesn't protect us denial doesn't protect us from the reality that there's some hurt in our life or that suffering is entering our life and that maybe our life isn't what we thought it was going to be after all and so we enter this kind of cycle of anxiety and betrayal and I kind of talk about it just through the lens of myself because that's all I have in the book but in the section defeated hero I kind of talk about my realization of my own cycle and how my anxiety was getting worse not better because of my denial I was just saying everything's fine it'll blow over and then when things didn't blow over and then God wasn't fixing the problem it just created more anxiety because things were getting out of control. So then I would ask God to fix it. 
But God wasn't looking to fix our problem quickly. He was looking to work on us. He didn't want to change our situation. He wanted to change us. And I didn't want that. And so then that led to betrayal. I felt betrayed by God. I felt like God was supposed to fix this. He's supposed to fix Heidi. And he's not. And so then that led to even more anxiety because if God, who's in control of all things, isn't going to fix this, how in the world am I going to fix this? And so that increases anxiety and betrayal. And betrayal happens on two different levels. There's an individual level and a spiritual level. I think the spiritual level is what I just mentioned. We trust God to fix whatever's going on so our life can get back to what it's supposed to be. And God says, I don't want to change your circumstances. I want to change you. And we do not like change, especially when we're all about comfort and convenience. But then there's the individual level. And this is where we kind of have the betrayal that that thankfully we're, we're over and if things happen, we know how to handle it. But the title is called like I mentioned, you promised you were done because there's so many times when we didn't know what was going on. BPD was undiagnosed, untreated. It just kind of was swirling because we didn't know what it was under the surface. And you would mess up and then you would say, Eric, I promise I'm done. And I would say, okay, good, because that's all I wanted was it to be done. So I took you at your word. And then because we weren't actually addressing the real hurt underneath, then you would do it again and then there'd be a betrayal there on that individual level between us. And so that hurts when we have a cycle of anxiety and betrayal between us and God and between each other. Yes, and I think it goes back to like what you were saying with denial, with betrayal. For me, I would very easily deny, well, that didn't happen and embrace the fact, well, today's a new day, so I'm going to deny what happened yesterday. And the only way to move on is to start with a fresh slate and but if I don't address what happened then it can fester and there's no way to enjoy or truly embrace moving forward without actually discussing it and dealing with it so to speak rather than denying it so instead of denying it I had to deal with things in order to move forward and actually have that fresh start or new slate and we all have to face the denial so that we can get past it but it's super hard for people with BPD, and this is kind of where we put a lot of work, you've put a lot of work and you've done really well um, over the years, is because wrapped up in, in the personality disorder is so much shame. And so when we all feel shame, we want to deny it or just forget about it. We want to repress it and we just want to move on. And it's really hard for someone to go back and deal with those emotions when they don't like these volatile emotions. They don't like feeling the shame. They don't like feeling the embarrassment or whatever it may be. And so that's really hard for you. And yet you do it. You're learning how to do it. And you're doing it really well. And that's why you can enjoy things is because you've learned. It might not happen that day. might not be the next day. But you learn that you have to face it. And, and it's something I'm still learning and yeah. working on. And so then it moves into the next section of the chapter called She's Black and Medivax. And that's just a story of something that happened locally here. Um, and this story just illustrates the point that at any moment, suffering can just enter your life and drastically alter it. Life is no longer what you thought it was, what you dreamed it to be. In just a moment, it can all be taken away from you. Then we move into the last section, which is count it, then make it count. And so persistent denial is a spiritual disaster. 
because we've talked about how it can hurt us by getting stuck in this cycle of anxiety and betrayal, but it hurts us spiritually because it stunts our growth. If we're denying a suffering, then we're denying God the opportunity to work through our suffering to make us look more like Jesus. And so persistent denial is a spiritual disaster. James 1, 2 in the ESV says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. So James says to count it all joy. So we don't want to deny it. We actually want to count it. And he says to count it all joy because that is so easy, right? Hey, I've got cancer. Yeehaw, right? Like, it, I'm just, hang on, flipping cords around here now. But I've always read that, even in my time in seminary, and thought, sounds good. Put it on the wall at Hobby Lobby stuff, trinkets. But what do you think when, it, when James says, count it all joy when you fall into sufferings of all kinds? I mean, I think it's one of those things when I look at it, it hindsight is twenty twenty. It's a lot easier to look even at the pandemic and think, oh, well, look at all this time we had together. We did have a lot of joy in those times. But going through those long days, I wouldn't say I counted them all joy. <sighs> now, I wish I would have counted some of them as more joyous, but that's probably because I wasn't choosing to make them all count and make them all joyous. Um, count it all joy, I guess, is perspective. If you take the glasses half full concept of it could always be worse. Yeah, and... James isn't saying that your suffering is going to go away or that it's not going to stink because you find it joyful. I think what you're saying is also that we can have joy in the middle of something. And oftentimes we look back on it and we say that that could have been better. There's reasons for having joy during that pandemic. You know, there's reasons to be thankful for that suffering that came through. And what James is trying to say is don't look back. Let's have it on the front end. Let's count it joy when we encounter these trials. Doesn't mean they're not going to stink. They're going to stink, but we can have present enjoyment in the middle of that. Um, and he says the way we do that, because it sounds really impossible, I think, to just have joy when things just really, really stink. What he says is we can have joy because we know something. And what we know is this, that God wants to make us look more like Jesus through it. He wants us to make the most of this opportunity to become spiritually mature. And so that kind of leads into the part where we don't want to deny it, we want to count it, but then we want to make it count. And so how do we make it count? James 1 still, but now verse 3, and this the NASB says, Knowing that the testing of your faith, so knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So James is saying we can count it all joy when we fall in these trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And this is how we make it count, is we choose to endure. The word for endure is a compound Greek word, which just means to remain under. When God is asking us to undergo something, our knee-jerk reaction is to deny it and get out of it as fast as possible. But what God is saying is don't deny it, count it, all joy, and then make it count by remaining under it until God has finished making you look more like Jesus through it. I think one thing that I think go back to thinking about for me personally, and I still at times don't know quite how I handled it, but if you can be aware, and obviously it's easier said than done, that 
how you handle something when people are absolutely watching you 100% of the time, which isn't the case for most of us. But whenever I was in the hospital with the twins, I had people watching me. Bed rest. 20, yeah, there. bed rest, 24 hours a day. And that was for a like situ- how many? Six weeks or so. <laughs> that was a situation where most people are not happy and would not handle it very well. And I don't know if it's because the nurses kept like asking me, like, how are you enjoying, not enjoying this, but how are you like so pleasant? And so, and I don't know if them asking me reminded me that they were watching me, but that was like a really positive experience. And it gave me an opportunity to show how you can handle situations. And looking back, I'm like, I don't really know how I did. I think it was a God thing, but I'm grateful for it because of the relationships that came out of it. And I obviously don't handle the majority of my situations in life with that much grace and living like Jesus, but I'm very thankful for that opportunity and how he did help me handle that situation. But I was living in a fishbowl. So, <laughs> Yeah, but I think what you're saying too is that because you have these people who are watching you and they're saying, how are you doing this? It's bringing meaning to whatever you're going through. Like, wait, I have an opportunity here. I've got a purpose behind this. Like, people are watching me and how I choose to handle this matters. Because, I mean, I think you develop relationships with them and I think you found out a few were Christians and they knew you were a Christian and so it just brought meaning to your faith and I think that helps too, knowing that what we're going through has meaning and has purpose. And I think that's what James is saying too is when he's saying, Knowing that it results, your endurance will result. It'll have perfect result that you will look perfect and complete or mature spiritually, lacking nothing. And so persistent denial is a spiritual disaster because it robs us of the joy we can have in suffering, but it also robs us of maturing and looking more like Jesus through our suffering. So in conclusion, let's just... Hit it real fast. Three reasons why we default. Survival. We just want to survive until this thing blows over. Number two, it protects our idea of life. Life is not supposed to be like this. So we default to denial because we don't want to believe life and our comfort and convenience might be threatened. Number three, it protects our idea of God. God is not supposed to let this happen. God is not supposed to act this way. Here's my dream. Here's how I've planned for my life to be, and God is the one I trust to make it happen. And when it's not happening, then maybe something's wrong with God, so we try to protect our idea of God. And this is hurtful spiritually because we won't grow and we won't experience joy in our suffering. So when we deny it, whatever it may be, we sustain and strengthen a cycle of anxiety and betrayal, both individually and spiritually. So denial is a spiritual disaster of the worst kind because we get hurt more and our faith is stunted. So two things we want to do when suffering happens. The first is this. We don't want to deny it. We want to count it. We want to count it all joy when trials of all shades come upon us. And we can do this knowing that God is going to make our faith mature. We're going to look more like Jesus if we choose to endure, if we choose to remain under whatever it is he's calling us to do. And we can do this also because we know God is on the move to do something in us and through us that is awesome the second thing is after we count it we want to make it count again by choosing to endure to remain under whatever it is god is asking us to follow him into because we believe he would not ask us to follow him into things so scary and things so uncertain 
if he were not certain about it being the best thing for us. Sound, sound good, Heidi? Yes, it does. All right, well, lead us out. So tune in next week for Chapter 3, You Can't Fix It, Why Doubling Down in Our Denial Doesn't Fix the Suffering We're Going Through, and What We Are to Do Instead. Perfect. Thanks. You have a better voice than me. I was really. Well, don't tell them that. They don't know. <laughs>